Welcome to the Lookout Post. This is B. Nevelent, your host. I'm so glad you can join me. This is the continuation episode of part one of Where Were You When God Laid the Foundation of the Earth. One of the main reasons why the Bible claimed to be folklore and myth and when your mindset is based on the information and the knowledge that you have gained through other men, through other science books, scientists and professors. Where do you think they learn their knowledge from? It goes so on and so on. It's a cycle of man after man with no spiritual power behind any of these theologies and ideologies and philosophies. No godly system, no godly uh, existence whatsoever. All man, all man, the mind of man, the power of the mind, the human mind. Because we created ourselves, right? We created ourselves so, you know, the, the, the more powerful your mind is, the better person you are so far from the truth. You know, this all originated in the garden. You, you have to really think about everything that we go through and all the turmoil and deception and everything that, that we're experiencing and especially, especially false claims and false accusations of the Bible and the ridicule, and the, the disrespect, the blasphemy that the Bible receives. It's funny how the Bible is the most hated book in the world. It's hated worldwide. And so many people pay so much attention to the Bible. It's such a fake book, and it's such folklore and in such nursery rhymes that yet we pay so much attention to it and we spend all our time in city halls, spend our time in courtrooms making laws to block these so-called allegories and these myths. Why go through so much, so much uh, time and go through so much if this fake, this is fake, it's false, it's... Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, you need to wake up. The book is outdated. That's another one. It's outdated. There is no God. There is no God. Who is God? We're gods. That's all you hear. We're gods. We're gods. You know, all this comes from Satan. It all comes from Satan. Because in the, in the garden, this is where he whipped up his masteries. He whipped up his is the greatest finesse of all time. This is gave, gave him his claim to fame. But you know, scripture sheds light 
on all darkness and it puts all false witnesses and all false witness and false accounts to rest. You know, from the beginning, Satan resented God. His burning jealousy drove him to divide God by deceiving his creation in Genesis 3. He lied to the woman with partial truth, which make vile evil words smooth and sound sincere. But this is just how he woos us into believing in his lies through, the, through that, that smooth and subtle, calm demeanor while his eyes are piercing you, just like a Dracula, you know the Dracula, the, the fictional Dracula, when he looks at you, how he mesmerizes you, that's him. He puts on this beautiful face. He can, he can, you know, take the form of anything. Just as we've seen in the garden, how he took the form of a, of a serpent. He can take the form of anything, a most beautiful woman. He can make the form of a, of a, of a, a lake in a, in a sand desert, in a desert sand, desert storm. Anything that would draw you away from the knowledge of God, anything that would draw you away from the faith in God, Satan is there. He's there. He said in verse 4, For God knows that in the day you shall eat of the fruit, then your eyes shall be open, you shall be as gods. You see how he tried to finesse her? He told her, you should be as God. Uh, if, if we're like gods, that means we're eternal. We will never die. We will live forever. We'll be able to be in this garden forever. Hook, line, and sinker. Because I'm sure what they failed to realize is that God had already determined their eternal lives. The moment they were made in the garden, their eternal lives were already laid out for them. But the fact that they wanting to be curious. The fact that the woman wanted to be curious and go beyond what God has given her. She wanted to go beyond her means. She wanted to go beyond the provision of what God had already granted unto her. She wanted to hear something new. Satan knows that if he gives you something new and he gives you something fresh and he gives you something clean and something that is tickling to your ear, he know he got you. And something different other than what your father has been teaching you. Everyone wants to hear something other than what their father's been teaching them all their years. You know, when you're a little kid, you've been, you've been taught one way. And once you reach 12 or 13, you start thinking for yourself. And I feel that that DNA, that rebellion... And that disobedience, rebellion, is born in our DNA through the fall of man in the garden. Because we were never created this way. It was never this way. It was never intended to be this way until the deception took over. You probably got to try to visualize Satan looking at God creating those humans, bl blowing his breath into their lungs. He's probably thinking, why didn't he do that to me? Because you remember, you have to remember that Satan is a is was the covering cherubim. Yep, he was he was uh, the Lord's right hand man. 
the right-hand man, he used to be a, uh, a musician. He was very good with music. And he used to minister unto the Lord with his, with his beautiful music. Till one day, his heart just took over with, with animosity and resentment and jealousy and covetousness for man. And Isaiah 14, it reads, in verse 13, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Satan wanted to be God. Satan still wants to be God. And he thinks that he's God. Because we continue to exalt him. His people exalt him every day. Whether knowingly or unknowingly, they exalt Satan. He wanted to exalt his throne above the stars of God. He said he will sit also on the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. He, want, he, he wanted to be the most high. He strove to be the most high. In verse 14, he said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. In, in verse 15, God says, oh, no, you don't. I got something for you, Satan. I got something for you. Slow your roll. He says, yet thou shall be brought down to hell to the size of the pit. That's it. And this is stated all throughout the Bible. These the prophecies of Satan and his minions and the Antichrist and the false prophet, they're all doomed to the pit of hell. But we're going to dive deeper into the Bible now. Um, I'm going to allow the Bible to shed light on a lot of dark areas and a lot of misconceptions that some people may have regarding the Bible. Hopefully, it should clear up a lot of questions and clear up a lot of uh, misunderstandings. We're going to go to, back to some earlier chapters in Job where uh, God has more questions for him. And again, they are just knee-buckling, tear-jerking questions that no man, no human being then or now can answer. Job 12, verse 7. He said, but ask now the beast, and they shall teach you, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell you. Or speak to the earth, and it shall teach you, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto you. Who knows not in all these things that the hand of the Lord has wrought this. In other words, who has created all of this and whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind wow Matthew 4 verse 4 but he answered the devil this is when the devil tempted the Lord in the wilderness but he answered and said it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God then you have an Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes 3, uh, this was written by Solomon, the son of King David. Ecclesiastes 3, 
verse 18, he said, in, I said in my heart, concerning the estate of the sons of men, which are the humans. I said in my heart, concerning the estate of the sons of men, that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. He's saying that he wants us to see that we are created just as the beast are. There's no difference other than we have been given his spirit. The animals don't have a spirit, but we have been given the spirit of God, but we are still created. And we can, and our, and our bodies expire whenever he's ready. For that which befalls the son of men befalls beast. Even one thing befalls them. As the one diet, so dies the other. Yes, they have all one breath, so that a man has no preeminence over a beast, for all is vanity. All go unto one place, all are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. For who knows the spirit of man that goes upward, and the spirit of the beast that goes downward to the earth? In Psalms 147, uh, verse 4, he said he tells the number of the stars. He calls them all by their names. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Yes, it is. And verse 8, he said, he, Who covers the heaven with clouds? Who prepares rain for the earth? Who makes grass to grow upon the mountains? Think about that. The mountains are way up there, way up there, out of the sight of everyone. How are there things growing up there? How is grass still growing? How is anything surviving up there in the mountain? The Lord is providing. The Lord is always providing for his creation. He said he gives to the beasts his food and to the young ravens which cry. He delights not in the strength of the horse. He takes not pleasure in the legs of a man. He said he doesn't, he doesn't, the, the strength of a horse it doesn't move him because he's created it. Nor does he take pleasure in the legs of a man when he's coming to or fro, when he's fighting in battle, or if he's the fastest man in the world. He takes no pleasure in that. He said, I created him. I gave him those legs. Well, why should I entertain myself at that? But the Lord takes pleasure in them that fear him and those that hope in his mercy. So an agnostic or atheist would say, why do you have to fear God? If God is the creator of the world, why doesn't he just stay like that without anyone having to uh, toot his horn or anyone having to bow down to him? Why do you always want someone to bow down to him? Listen, God... Is, is worthy of all honor. He's worthy of all praise. Because what he has done for his children after the fall, but this gift of salvation, he says in the Bible, was preordained before the foundations of the earth. So before anything was even created, he already knew that there would be a fall and that he knew 
that we will be set free by his son. That's why he says that he is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. In prophecy, he displays the end to us. It's clear as day. They say all oh, is puzzles and riddles and symbols. No, not really. All you have to do is go through scripture. Scripture, interpret scripture. That's why there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. You refer back to the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a, it's like a directional, a directional uh, manual. It's like a manual. It's like, um, it's for an example. And the New Testament is the redemption and the price paid to receive salvation. So the Old Testament and the New Testament go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And if you do have one without the other, it's unbalanced. The balance is off. These are the things that you learn when you start to study and you start to give your life to the Lord and you start to key in on spiritual things. When you put your interest in spiritual things and you forsake the things of this world because the things of this world is just vanity. It's just vanity. It's eye candy. In John, 1 John 2, 15, I believe, he says, for the, for the love of the world, all that's in this world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's all that's in this world. The lust of the flesh, the pride of life. That's all it is. But when you set your affections and you set your hopes on Yeshua and what was done at the cross, now you stand in joy. You're a joyful person. No one can bring you down. It's hard to bring you down now. But this is why you have so many targets upon your shoulders. You have so many targets on your forehead. Because while people are going through anguish, and people are languishing and people are suffering. People are crying and people are dying. There's so much hurt, so much deprivation and so much spiritual desolation in today's society. They want to know what's he so happy for? What's he smiling about? What, what is he happy about? Right, let's investigate. Let's find out why he's so happy. Let's, let's kill that happiness. You can't be walking around happiness and people out here dying and, and this world is being turned upside down and he's still smiling. He's still walking around happy. He's enjoying his family. He's not worrying about coronavirus. He ain't worrying about COVID. He ain't worrying about taking no vaccine. He worrying about none of these things because there's a, there's a, a verse in the Bible that says, I will not be afraid of evil tidings, for my heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Once you trust in the Lord, listen, nothing can scare you. Nothing can move you. You could stand eyeball to eyeball with Satan. You could have a staring contest with Satan, and I guarantee you probably end up winning because a whole bunch of scriptures will start flying through your mind and you just start saying them or just start reciting them in your brain as you're staring Satan down. And the, and the more scriptures that run through your head is the more Satan's eyes start to flutter. And next thing you know, you got him. 
Satan can do nothing to you because he's an already defeated foe. All right, all right. And I, so now I realize at this juncture of the message, I'm starting to stay apart now. And the scoffers are getting quiet. And I would hope the agnostics are considering straddling the fence and maybe converting. And that the atheists are starting to let their guard down a little bit. And if the series of questions posed to Job weren't enough, we're going to submerge even deeper into God's word and pull scriptures that our beloved pastors wouldn't even dare preach. Verses that are revealing info that has been hid from the masses in society. That if we were taught these facts from a youth, there wouldn't be so much unbelief and generation of scoffers popping up as we get closer to the end. These things were pre-warned by God. In 2 Peter 3, verse 3, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers sleep, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. He's mocking that's you guys. Where is the promise of his coming? From since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. You're saying that there's nothing new. Everything is all the same. There's no, nothing's coming. No one's coming. This is how the world evolved and it will continue forever. That's what most people out there think. And they say scientists and science is the new way of life. And artificial intelligence and all the new wave technology is the new world. And there's no more old school medicine. There's no more old school remedies. Your herbal remedies and all your uh, natural remedies, you can get them out the way. You can just go ahead and just toss them. It's no longer. It's, everything is connected. You know... Science is portrayed as the all, the beginning, the beginning and the end. Science is portrayed as the alpha and omega, right? What we don't realize is science is God's way of revealing unto us his character and his nature. And above all, his love for his creatures, both big, small, human, non-human. He gave the wisdom unto certain men. And we have some people, I did a little research on this one, so I went a little deep. It's called, uh, and forgive me if, if the uh, pronunciation is mis mispronunciated. Pelotonian, Pelotonology. Pelotonology. It's the, it, okay, basically it's P-A-L-E-O-N-T-O-L-O-G-Y. Palinatology. I'm sure someone who out there who, who's in science, maybe you guys can comment or hit me on, on social and let me know what that word is. I know what the word means, but I mean the actual pronunciation of it. But it's the science of dealing with past life, geological time, known from fossil remains, which brings me to, which brings me to the point of how I frequently hear that they say if the Bible is legit, then why doesn't it cover dinosaurs? But who told you it didn't? You see, that's when you don't read, don't know. 
If we go back to the Job, to Job in chapters 40 and verse 15, behold now behemoth, which I made with thee. He eateth grass as an ox. Lo, now his strength is in his loins and his force is in the navel of his belly. He moves his tail like a cedar and the sinews of, are, of his stones are wrapped together. His bones are as strong as pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. Mm. All right, let's break this down now. So he says, behold now, behemoth, the behemoth. When we think of a behemoth, the movies and um, our different generations, we look at a behemoth as, as just this big ogre, this big, ugly, hairy, gruesome monster that just comes through and he's, he's attacking everybody and he's just slamming everybody against walls and he's screaming, he's roaring, he's ugly, he's big. It's like a gargantuan, but he's like four times bigger. No, 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 no. All the words that you heard as little kids growing up, these are words from the Bible. These are words that the Lord has ordained. And man just took them and used them. Everything that we go through and we hear now has been used from the Bible, man. Everything, the movies, the action, the sci-fi, the thrillers, everything. Where do you think they get all of my ideas from? They got them from the Bible. They couldn't get them from anywhere else. They couldn't come up with these ideas on their own. They all were all intervened. They were all intervened. They, man doesn't, uh, we can't think that high. There's only a certain few, maybe a handful of men that have an IQ that, that massive and that high. But not all men are on that level. We always have to be humble unto God. But man will continue, have, and always will have, try to reach the heights of the most high. All right, but I'm getting off track. So he says, the behemoth. A behemoth is an is a animal. It's an animal. He said, I made you to eat grass as an ox. And that's what... When you think about it, a, a behemoth is, is an elephant on land. And another behemoth is a whale, a huge, massive animal that has been created by God to show his powers. He, his powers are displayed in these animals. He said his strength is in his loins. His loin is like his bottom half. So his bottom half is just indestructible. And his force is in the, in the navel of his belly. So all his force is in his stomach and in his lower half. He moves his tail like a cedar, the cedar of Lebanon. You know how the cedar just blows in the wind? And if it slaps you, it'll probably leave a scar on your face. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together. The sinews are like the muscles that are wrapped around the bone inside of our, our skins. Under the skin, then we have the, the muscle and the blood and the bones. So the sinews are the wrappings are around the bones. So he said they're like stones. He said his bones are as strong as pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. So there's your dinosaur right there, guys. That's your dinosaur. 
the behemoth is basically all the those uh, dinosaurs, the all of these dinosaurs, those huge behemoths. That's what they were. Dinosaur is a man-made name, of course. Behemoth is what you're looking for. If you want to talk about a dinosaur and huge animals, it's a behemoth. That's the name the Lord gave them, not dinosaurs. There's no dinosaur in the Bible. A behemoth is, like I said, an elephant, a whale, any animal that's just massive, massive, massive. A rhino. Did you know that, you know, how they say, we all know the... uh name unicorn, a unicorn. A unicorn is a mystical creature, right? It's, they they uh, portray it as a white, a beautiful white horse with a, with a horn that, that shines, right? And it sparkles and, you know, even my daughter have unicorns in her shirt and unicorn, daddy, I want a unicorn. All the little girls love, love unicorns, right? So we automatically chalk that off as, ah, if the Bible is mentioning unicorns, it's fake, man. That's folklore. That's, that's fairy tales. That's why it's fake. That's why I don't listen to the Bible, because it has unicorns and, and all these mystical names and all these mystical symbols. They're not mystical. It's mystical to, because man has used them as mystical, but they wasn't meant to be mystical. They were meant to be, in, you know, they were meant to be literal. So if you do a little research, this is all footwork, guys. This is all, this is all, this is all research, footwork. It's a lot of digging, man. It's a lot of digging. This itself is uh, like, like archaeology. When you're digging, you're digging. You're looking in, you know, archives. You're going through the archives to find the gem. You, you got to find that true gem. If you want to get away from the lies and you want to get away from the deceit, you got to dig for the truth. Truth is not always going to just be sitting there like a like an apple on a tree, just sitting there with a with a with a little glimmer, cling, and then here I am. Nah, you got to go and dig for that bad boy. You got to dig. You got to get deep. You got to get dirty to get the truth. You got to get dirty, and we about to get dirty. So if you go and you look into the uh, Noah's Webster's dictionary, if you look up the word unicorn, the word unicorn says that it's uh. A rhinoceros. The word unicorn is in a rhinoceros. A rhinoceros is a uh, a unicorn. That's what it is. Una is one, and corn, horn, unicorn is one horn. One horn animal is a rhinoceros. A huge, massive, powerful animal with a horn. That's where they get unicorn from. It's in, the, it's in there. It's in the Noah's Webster's Dictionary. Look it up. He said, wow. I always thought a unicorn was a flying, a flying horse with, a, with, a, with wings. A flying horse with wings and, and a horn. A unicorn. Nah, that's mythical. That's mythical. And that's mystical. No, 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 no. God don't deal with magic. There's no magic involved. It's just the power of God. There's no magic. And he, did, and he displays this in his creation. So I think we can agree that uh, these dinosaurs were mere animals that roamed the wilderness in search of survival. That's basically where they were. They were just huge, massive animals. Because remember, in them times, there were three 
to four times the size of the animals of our times. There was no emissions, pollution, and there was no tamper of nature. They grew monstrous, hence we have our dinosaurs. The Bible is also consistent with astronomy. God frequently refers to the innumerable numbers of stars in the heavens. Even today's top scientists admit they have no clue as to the number of the stars there are in heaven. But not only does God know, he names them and he sets each one apart from the other in appearance. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 41, there is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. All stars appear similar to the naked eye. A telescope merely shows you the point of light, but virtually impossible to show a star in its original shape and form. See, that's God's business. The Bible describes the precise movements in the universe. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 35, thus says the Lord, which gives the sun for a light by day in the ordinances of the moon of the stars for a light by night, which divides the sea when the waves roar thereof. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts of millions and billions of angels. If we go back to Job, it seems as though the Lord revealed most of his existence in the book of Job. He had a very deep connection with Job. In Job 26, verse 7, the Lord described the suspension of the earth in space. Verse 7, he stretched out the north over the empty place and hangs the earth upon nothing. Upon nothing. God describes meteorology. In Psalms 135, verse 7, he caused the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightnings for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasures. He describes the weather as well in John 3, verse 8. As I said earlier, this is written in Old English, and sometimes people who are listening won't understand or don't get the, the graphs of what the Lord is trying to express. So I'm just going to go ahead and just read it in regular main, plain English. Uh, John 3, verse 8. The wind blows where it wants, and you hear the sound thereof, but you cannot tell from where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You have no control. There it is right there. God's in control. The Spirit goes where it wants to go, and it heals who it wants to heal. It redeems who it wants to redeem. God does as he pleases. He also displays his love for his people when he allows the rain for the production of crops. In Leviticus 26, verse 4, he says, Then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. He's saying, I will give you the rain, and in due time, all your crops and everything that you've planted, all your trees and all their fruits shall blossom and bloom and flourish and shall bring you great abundance. 
for you, your family, and for your business, whatever was for in those days, and even now. Then he also explains the seasons. In Genesis uh, chapter 8, verse 22, if you actually listen close, he's actually determined that these seasons shall never cease as long as the earth is around, still around. In verse, 24, in verse 22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Then in Amos chapter 4, verse 7, he declares that he shall do as he pleases. He will send the rain when and where he pleases. He says, and also I have withholden the rain from you when there were yet three months to harvest and I caused it to rain upon one city and caused it not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon and the piece whereupon it rained not, it withered. Wow. God also uses weather as a form of judgment, as a form of punishment to wicked nations and people. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 35, when heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray towards this place and confess your name and turn from their sins when you have afflicted them. In Ezekiel 38, verse 22, he shows his fierce anger. He says, and I will plead against him with pestilence. Pestilence is diseases, plagues, like what we're going through, so-called, and with blood. And I will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him and an overflowing rain and great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus, I will magnify myself and sanctify myself and I will be known in the eyes of many nations and they shall know that I am the Lord. You see how he declares his reign when he says, and they shall know that I am the Lord because they will bow, they will tremble as you see in the king. When you're in the presence of a king, you dare not look him in his face. You bow before him. You tremble in his eyesight. You tremble in, 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 in the, just the thought that the king is, is within your circumference. You make ready your home. You make ready your wife. You, you tell your wife to, to cook the finest meal. You go out and you go and hunt the, the finest animal so that you can give it to your wife so she may cook the finest meal. You, you get the children, you tell your daughters to wear the finest dress and you have your, your sons to wear the, the finest linen that they have in the closet, tidy and sharp because the king is coming. The king is coming to town and we cannot miss this opportunity. This is how it is with God. You cannot miss this opportunity because the king is coming to town. So make ready. Make ready your, 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 your home. Make ready your children. Tell them about it. Tell them, hey, look, the king's coming. Tell them. You learn. Learn more about the king. Learn more about his ways and his character. I know this is with a lot of scripture, y'all. I hope y'all was able to receive the message. I hope you received the message. 
the message that is lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he should direct your path. That's from uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Trust in God. Trust in God with everything. Give him everything. What you reap, you shall sow. You put in a little, you get out a little. You put in a lot. The rewards are limitless. This message is for you. The reason you heard this is because God has placed you exactly where you are right now. The reason why you are hearing this is because the God wants you to hear this. You're hearing this for a reason. There is a purpose and a reason to everything under the sun. So if you are on the fence or you're on the fence or you're an atheist and you just don't believe or whatever, whatever the case may be, give them a chance. Give them a chance. I challenge any listener, give God a chance and see if he won't be able to convert your soul. See if he won't be able to make a miracle in your life. That he will be able to make a work that you would never thought could ever be done. The Lord says that with man, things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Listen, you can't make this stuff up. You just can't make these things up. Man is not smart enough for this. You don't understand? There's no way that the human mind is not capable of this intelligence, you know? So give God a chance. Put down the, the scoffing. Put down the scorning. Put down the doubt. Put down the, the, the negative. Pick up the positive for a second. Dive into something new. Pick up the Bible and just, just read it for a little bit. See what happens. Take time out of your busy schedule during the lockdown. Your, your busy, hectic schedule. Throw in the third wave. Throwing the vaccine distribu dis distributing and the forcing of vaccinations and the, the hijacking of rights. During these times, I hope you'll be able to scratch out a few minutes or so. You know, I know things are so crazy. We have so many things on our plate. We're just moving around. We're just, there's so much traffic and we're just moving, you know. We're always in the street. There's so much to do out there. So whenever you find a quiet place, pick up the Bible. And if you don't have one, you can go on your phone. There's an app. There's no excuse. That's the thing. You cannot make an excuse before God. You can't say, oh, I don't. No. He makes the Bible in every language. He makes it in every form. He makes it in every media. There's no way that any person can say, oh, I didn't know. Or I didn't have a Bible. No, 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 no. You can't finesse God, Remember. You cannot finesse the creator. So I leave you on this note. God bless yourselves. Take care of yourself. Take care of your family. 
Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. Those who are in relationships, love the ones that you're with. Love your children. Help your neighbor. Try to, within your camp, with your, within your district and within your circumference, try to bring peace. Because we all know we already have too much turmoil. We already have too much hate. We already have too much all of, we, believe me, it's like sand at a beach. We got it already. All right, don't, no need to bring it. Just leave it. We need something that will benefit us. So take some time out and allow God to find you. You can't find him. Let him find you by opening up your heart and allowing him to enter. When he knocks, answer. Let him come in. Let him sit down with you. You guys talk a little bit. All right? God bless you and your families. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your evening. Enjoy your morning. I want to thank everyone for listening, and I hope that you'll continue to. God bless you.